I just want to tell you, you've visited on a fantastic day today. And I hope that you'll be back every single part of this series because throughout this series, today and throughout this series, we're going to tell you how we know that's true, but we're also going to tell you why we know that this is true, that the greatest things are always found in Jesus. In fact, this is a great series because this is a very participatory uh, series. When you came in, uh, you found on your seats, on every other chair, you found one of these cards that says, I found blank, fill it in in Jesus. And on the on your way out in the lobby, we have tables out there. If you notice, we have our big banner that you saw time elapsed uh, being put up. And on each side, we have lots and lots of space. And the reason for that is because we want you throughout this series to be able to take one of these cards, whether on your chair or on the, one of the tables out there, take one of the markers, take a pen throughout this series and write what you have found in Jesus. Maybe that's hope. Maybe that's strength, maybe that's forgiveness, maybe that's reconciliation, maybe it's joy, maybe whatever it is that you have found in your life, we want you to be able to write that on your card, and then we have some tape strips that are out there on our tables, put a little bit of tape on the back, stick it on each side so that as we progress through this series, at the end of it, we'll be able to look back and see all of the things that what we have found in Jesus, amen? Does that sound exciting to you? I hope that it does, because it stirs my heart to know that every single one of us have found the greatest things in Jesus, the things that last, the things that endure, and we hope that you'll be able to write that down. If you want to do it anonymously, do that. You don't have to write your name or anything, but write it down. Give it to a friend if you feel a little nervous. Say, hey, go put that on the wall for me out there. I don't know, but uh, we hope that you'll do that throughout this series. You can start doing that today on your way out. So as we get started, I simply want to ask you a question this morning. How many of you growing up, you ever had something that was pretty similar to a security blanket? Anybody, when you were a kid, you have a security blanket that you had? Yeah, we got several hands going up all over the place. Yeah, uh, I, I was growing up, and I had some cousins that had literally a security blanket. They took it everywhere they went, and they called it their Skaggy. I don't know how they came up with that name, but that's just what they called them. And I remember they wouldn't go anywhere without their Skaggy. They would go to sleep with them at night. If they got in trouble, they would have to have it. You know, they'd cry into it. If they were going to stay the night at somebody's house, they had to have their Skaggy everywhere that they went. And I always remember thinking, that's kind of weird until I had children. And then when I had children, I realized that it's not so weird after all. In fact, a few, several months ago when we got our Oklahoma City family pass, they gave us this stuffed animal. And my five-year-old daughter, Eden, if you haven't met her before, you should, okay? And uh, she, uh, she latched hold of this thing. And so for the very first time ever, I would like to introduce to South Point the newest member of our family. This is Ellie the Elephant. And Ellie the elephant, I had to get special permission to bring her today. In fact, when my five-year-old came, the first things out of her mouth this morning was, hey, Dad, can I go see Ellie? Because I had her backstage, and she, I, so I walked her backstage just so she could give her a hug and a kiss as if to tell her it's going to be okay. Ellie goes everywhere with us. Ellie rides in the car with us. She goes on vacation with us, even though she hasn't done anything to earn the vacation. She sleeps with my daughter every night. She sits at our dinner table while my daughter pretends to feed her because Ellie has to eat, right? I mean, you got to make sure Ellie's fed. She does everything with this little stuffed animal, and it's so cute, and it's so funny. But you know, the truth of the matter is, is as adults, we look and we go, oh, that's so cute. But really, we know, like, I'm looking at it going, there's really nothing special about this animal in and of itself, is it? I mean, it, it can't provide her with food. It can't provide her with shelter. 
It can't, it can't give her warmth if she's cold. It, it can't even protect her, even though it's kind of a security thing for her. Like, like it can't actually protect her. If, I, if, if somebody breaks into our house, I don't run into my daughter's room, grab Ellie, and hold it up as a human shield to say, you will protect my family. Right? Of course not. It doesn't provide any of those things. But catch this this morning, because this is very, very important for us. It's not that this thing is special in and of itself. It's what it represents to my daughter that makes it special to my daughter. Are you with me this morning? And as adults, we all completely understand this, don't we? Because while we don't cling to our stuffed animals and we've given up our blankets and we've handed those things off to the next generation or gotten rid of them, whatever it is you did with yours, even though we don't walk around with these anymore, we all cling to our own versions in our adult lives, don't we? We cling to our careers because, oh my goodness, I have to have this career and it makes me feel so secure. We cling to our finances. I have to have this much in my savings account or everything is just falling apart. We cling to relationships in our lives that we go, oh man, I have to have this because I don't know if anything better is going to come along even though I know I should walk away from this relationship. We cling to our reputations. We cling to our plans for the future. We cling to all of these things, even though these things can't give us what we desire them to give to us, don't we? And the truth is, is that these things that we hold so dear and we cling to are merely shadows of the real thing. And I think what God wants to speak to us very clearly this morning, and I think throughout this entire series, is you can actually fill this blank in your notes if you can pull them out of your bulletin, is that I think God wants to speak to us today to say, listen, I want to take your substitute and I want to exchange it for the real thing. I, I want to I take your substitute, I want to take this, this shadow that you think is so important and I want you to trust me and exchange it for the real thing. I know that you think you find your security in your finances. I know it's that 401k and well-diversified stock portfolio that makes you feel like you're going to be set for the rest of your life. But you and I both know that can be gone tomorrow. Then where is your security at? I know that you have worked hard to climb the ladder to get to the top of your particular field in your career. But what if that all disappears tomorrow? Where is your rest and peace going to be then? I know that you want that relationship in your life, but listen, I'm telling you, don't hold on to it because you think it stands for hope in your life that there's not going to be anything better that comes along in the future. If you will trust me and give it to me, I'll exchange it for something far greater. You want to hold on to those plans. I know that you have great dreams for the future, but listen, if you will entrust them to me, I will take your life and do something greater in it than you could have ever even possibly imagined. See, we cling to these things that really can't provide us with anything that we actually truly desire, do we? And so we come to God and we say, yeah, but God, but God, you, th this brings me so much pleasure. God, it's so, it's so soft and it, just, it makes me feel safe. And yeah, but God, but God, but God. And the question that I simply have to ask you, if that's maybe where you're at today, is to simply ask you, what kind of life do you want to live? What kind of a life do you want to live? Do you want to end your life 70, 80, when you're 90 plus years old and say, oh my goodness, I held on to this thing all these years, but I realize at the end of my life, it has left me wanting. It never really satisfied the way that I thought that it would. 
Or do we want to exchange it to the one who said, I have come to give you life, and I've come to give you life to the fullest. Not just the shadow of life, not just a representation of what you want, but I've come to give you something that's real, something that lasts, something that will be a legacy, not only in your life, but in the life of your children and your grandchildren that come after you. Something that far exceeds anything you could have even imagined in your life. See, all my life, I have watched people, I have counseled people as a pastor, I have even seen it in my own personal life, and I think all of us have, where we've come to this point sometimes in our lives where we finally say, okay, God, I'm ready to give this over to you. I've been chasing it my whole life, and I've never been able to attain it, or I finally grabbed hold of it, and then I found that it actually didn't satisfy me. It was like cotton candy. It just I put it in my mouth, and it just dissolved. It didn't actually give me the nourishment that I wanted. And so, God, I finally had it, and now I'm ready to hand it over to you. And I can't help but sometimes wonder if God doesn't look at us and say, man, why did it take you 10 years to realize that I sometimes wonder if we look at ourselves and say man why did it take me five years why did it take me one year why did it take me so long to realize that this isn't actually what I wanted but the greatest things that I've always been looking for were actually found in Jesus and you know the good news for us this morning is that we're not the very first people to ever deal with this before in fact When Jesus physically walked this earth in person, the people that were closest to him, his followers went through this exact same issue when they chose to start following Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your mobile devices, if you're joining us on Facebook Live, we certainly want to invite you to do the same. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Now Luke is the third book in the New Testament. And Luke, call it a book, but really what Luke is, is it is a first century biography written about the the, the birth, the life, the ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And what's amazing about the life of Jesus and these biographies we have in the New Testament is that we have more independent sources on the life of Jesus than what we have of most historical figures. And when you look back in history and you study history, you realize that there are some events in some people's lives that maybe you're lucky if you have two sources on them. Much of history rests on just one source, just one historical source, the life of Alexander the Great, for example. We have one source that actually tells us that Alexander the Great even existed at all. And so the truth is, is that when we look at the New Testament, we have four independent sources that were written independently from each other that eventually, a few hundred years after circulating through the early church for a few centuries, the church came together and said, okay, let's take all these books and let's compile them all together and we'll call it the New Testament. And so you have the Gospel or Book of Matthew, which we'll actually look here very briefly. You have the Gospel of Matthew, which is written from a first-hand account of Jesus' life. Then you have the Gospel of Mark, which Mark wasn't a first eyewitness, but he did write down Peter's eyewitness account of Jesus' life. Then you have Luke, who was not an eyewitness, but he investigated the life of Jesus, talking to the people who were eyewitnesses to write it all down. And then you have John, who was also an eyewitness of Jesus. So sometimes when we read through these Gospels, we find that many times they write on the same stories, but they tell them with slightly different perspectives. And so this morning, we're going to dive into Luke chapter 5, but before we go there, I want to read the passage, the same story from Matthew's perspective. He's writing to Jews, so he's writing very clearly, very concisely, but he doesn't really give us a lot of details. So let's look at Matthew, beginning in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in Matthew chapter 4. And here's what Matthew concludes about this story. 
verse 18, he says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Verse 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds kind of crazy to me, doesn't it? I mean, this guy just comes up to you, you don't even know who he is, and he just comes up and says, hey, follow me. And you, okay, you know, and drop everything and say, I'll come follow you. Sure, you bet. The next passage gets a little even more intense. Verse 21 says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. They're with their dad, doing the family business. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father <laughs> and followed him. Like, hey, Dad, uh, we're gonna, I know, I know you, this is like the family business, but, Dad, we're, we're going to go follow this guy with flip-flops over here, okay? Yeah, see you later. We'll talk to you later, Dad. That just sounds crazy, doesn't it? I remember reading this passage when I was a teenager, when I was younger, and I remember thinking, that's right, man. You know, when you're filled with passion and desire, and you're going, that's right, man. Just leave everything behind. Go follow Jesus. Immediately, you should just leave everything else behind. Go follow Jesus. And then I got a little older, and I got maybe a little wiser, and I had a lot more to risk. I got married, so I have a wife. I have multiple children. I have a job. I have an income, I have retirement, right? I have a lot more to risk. And so when I go back and I look at this passage, I go, man, that, that's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around. Like Jesus just says, come follow me, and I just abandon everything to go follow Jesus. That's a little hard for me to wrap my mind around. And so when we come to Luke's gospel, Luke records this same story, but Luke tells us a few more details that makes it a little bit more palpable for us. Luke kind of gives us the extended cut with director's commentary, okay? That's kind of what Luke's version is. So let's look at Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We'll just kind of walk through this passage a little bit. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, he calls it something different because, remember, Matthew is writing to Jews who knew the, the sea as the Sea of Galilee. Gentiles, people like you and me who were not Jews, knew it by a different name, so that's why he calls it by something different. With the people crowding around Jesus and listening to the word of God. So Jesus is standing on the edge of this big giant lake. And it's kind of like goes up. It's almost like a natural amphitheater. And so all these people, these crowds and crowds of people are crowding in around Jesus as he's trying to preach. He's trying to teach about the kingdom of God. Verse 2. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. So you have Peter and James and John and Andrew, these same guys from Matthew chapter 4, and they're sitting there. They've pulled up after fishing all night long. They've got all their gear out, all their nets. They lay, would lay them out on these big uh, sort of wooden poles so that they could, you know, pull off all the beer cans and all the sunglasses and flip-flops. You know, they're, they're cleaning their nets, right, from what they've tried to dredge up from the night before. So they would clean their nets. They would let them dry. Then they would roll them up and then they would store them for the next evening where they could go back out and continue to fish for a living. So you have Peter and all these guys. Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, and they're listening. They're cleaning their nets and they're listening. They're going about their everyday daily life, but they're listening to Jesus, okay? They've got a few things, okay. Doing my work, okay, that's good. That's a good point. Yeah, that, that might work for my life, but I'm still doing my everyday tasks. Look at this progression that they go through. Verse 3. So, he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Verse 
4. No, let's stay with verse 3. So Peter is sitting there. Look at this progression with Peter. Okay, so Peter's doing his work. He's listening to Jesus. Then Jesus says, hey, can I get in your boat? Okay, well, that, that's not a really a big thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've been listening to you. You're a great, great teacher. Yeah, sure, Jesus, you can go ahead and get into my boat. It's, you see sort of this slow progression that Jesus has with Peter here throughout this entire passage. Verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets. Yeah, those nets that you just got done cleaning. I want you to go ahead and put those nets down again for a catch. And look what Simon's response is in verse 5. Simon answered, Master, Sir, trying to be respectful here, okay? Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now hold up right there. I mean, this is in essence, Peter is trying to be as nice as possible here. He's saying, master, sir, is what he's actually like for the modern English would be a better translation. Like, sir, I I really appreciate that, but, but we've been doing this all night long. It's as if Peter is telling Jesus, listen, Jesus, um, first of all, look, I'm sure you're a great teacher. Uh, I'm sure you're a great carpenter turned rabbi, teacher, miracle worker, but, but that's maybe what you do, Jesus. See, see, I'm the professional fisherman, so I know you don't go fishing in the daytime, Jesus. Look, I mean, because how, let me, let me explain this to you, Jesus. See, 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 we fish at night. See, at night is when the surface water of the temperature, it goes down of the surface water, and so the fish rise to feed, and so we can easily just dredge over the top and we can catch fish. But then as the sun comes up and the surface temperature rises, the fish go down to the deep parts of the lake where we can't reach with our nets. So that's why we fish at night, Jesus. Yeah, you see these clean nets? We just got done cleaning them. See, see, we're about to put them away. We've been doing it all night long, Jesus, and we haven't caught anything. And you know, we very much do the same thing with our own lives, don't we? We, 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 we come into our lives and we say, Jesus, look, I, I really appreciate what you're trying to say, Jesus, but you really don't know how bad my marriage is right now. Jesus, I, look, I, I don't want to offend you, Jesus, but you have no idea how hard I've had to work to get to the top of my career. Jesus, I understand that you really want to try to speak into this area of my life, but you have no idea how bad my, ext- my extended family really is, okay? <laughs> Jesus, I'm sorry. You just We do this all the time with our lives. We try to excuse Jesus out of things that he wants to speak into our lives. We say, yeah, but Jesus, you just don't understand. Jesus, just leave this to me. Jesus, I got this, okay? I got my job. I got my finances. Jesus, I got my marriage. I, I, I appreciate what you're trying to say, but I really don't need you interfering in what I know better than you. But look at Peter's response, because in this moment, Peter's been listening to Jesus teach. He's been listening to Jesus teach. Jesus says, can I get into your boat? That doesn't seem very, yeah, sure, you can get into my boat. Sure, I'll I'll invite you into the boat, okay? And then he listens to Jesus teach, listens to Jesus teach, listens to Jesus teach. And then Jesus turns to him and he takes it a step further and he says, but now, Peter, I want you to take me fishing. I'm going to ask you to do something that you've done a thousand times, but I'm going to ask you to do it in a different way and at a different time. I'm going to ask you to risk your reputation. I'm going to ask you to risk all these crowds of people watching you and laughing at you because you're going to go fish in the daytime when everybody knows that's not when fishermen fish. I'm going to ask you to do something different this time. So Peter, why don't you take me out fishing? And Peter says, ah. And then look at the next part of the verse. He says, but. I love those connection words throughout the scriptures. He says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Not because I think it's going to work. Not because I think I'm going to be successful. 
Not because I think that I'm going to somehow, this is going to help my reputation as a fisherman. Not because I think it's going to help my business. Not because I think it's going to be good for me to do. Not because, uh, you know, I I think something great is going to happen. Not because I understand it. Not because it makes sense to me. But because you say so, Jesus. I've listened to you enough that I have enough trust in you that I'm willing to do what you ask me to do even though it doesn't make sense to me. Now think about in this moment, in Peter's simple decision to simply say, because you say so, I'll do it. Think about what hung in the balance. Think about what hung in the balance in this moment by this one simple decision that Peter was making. I mean, think about it. What if Jesus could have rolled out the screen and said, all right, fellas, cue up the projection. Peter, here's what's going to happen if you choose to follow me. If you choose to obey me, if you choose to trust me, here's what's going to happen. Peter, let me just show you real quick. Let me show you this picture. This is what your tomb is going to look like, Peter. They're going to build this thing over your bones, St. Peter's. Yeah, you're going to be called St. Peter. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, Peter, but that's what they're going to call you. They're going to call you St. Peter. And they're gonna, it's going to take them 118 years to build this over top of your grave because of what you're going to do. Peter, there will be millions of people that will be named after you throughout the millennia because of you following me. But, but let's, let's set all the sort of superficial things aside. Peter, there will be billions of people that are inspired by your life, that will be inspired by your words, that will be inspired by your actions, that you will be one of the key leaders that help launch this new thing into the world called the church, that will be so radical and so changing and so full of love and grace and and mercy, that it's going to turn the Roman world upside down. It's going to change the course of human history. You're going to be a part of that, Peter. In fact, not only that, but you are going to impact and change Billions of peoples of lives. So will you take me fishing? That's all I'm asking you to do. How much hung in the balance by this one simple question that Jesus said? Why don't you go put out your nets? All I'm asking you to do is to trust me just a little bit more, Peter. I've gotten in your boat. Now I'm asking you, will you trust me just a little bit more? To be able to move forward. Peter says because you say so. Then look at what happens. Verse 6. When they had done so. They caught such a large number of fish. That their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat come and help, to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so much that they began to sink. I mean, these guys, they're tired already from all night fishing. Then they're bringing in so much. I mean, you just imagine these guys straining, bringing in these nets. And, oh, my goodness, it's so heavy. Now the edge of the boat dips below the surface of the water. And now boats, water is coming into the boat. And they're laughing, going, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And there's some are pulling the fish in and other guys are pulling the water out. It's just unbelievable. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at his knees. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. No longer master, no longer some great teacher who's teaching on the side of the Sea of Galilee. He says, no, there's something about what I have heard and there's something about what I've just seen that convinces me that you are more than just a sir or a master or a great teacher. You are in fact Lord. He says, away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful 
man. There's something about when we listen to Jesus and when we see what Jesus does that shows us who he is, but also shows us who we are in light of who he is. Verse 9, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Here we go, they're coming into the story. Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. (laughs) Isn't it funny how often Jesus says that? Isn't it funny how many times God or an angel shows up or Jesus simply says, hey, look, I know this, uh, this amazing thing just happened and it's freaking you out right now, but don't be afraid. He says, from now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. In this moment, See, we have, we have this incredible benefit that we are on this side of the story, aren't we? We're, we're on this side of history. Like, we can see what happens. We know the end of the story. We know how the rest of Peter's life pans out. We know how the history of the church pans out because Peter chose to leave everything behind. And we look at it from our perspective and we say, my goodness, they would be a fool to hold on to what they had, this shadow of security, this shadow of purpose that, yeah, Peter, I know you have a successful business. It was probably handed down to you from your father and his father before him and his father before him. And you just caught this huge boatload of fish that were sinking, probably the biggest catch you've ever had in your life. And you, you, you are, I'm so glad, Peter, that you walked away from all of it, that you left this shadow behind you to embrace what Jesus was actually calling you to do, that you thought you had what you needed, you thought you had what you wanted in life, but it really couldn't provide you with anything that would far outlast your life, that Jesus was in essence saying, I have something greater if you'll just leave that behind and embrace what I have for you, then it will change not only you, but it will change the world. We would look at Peter and we would say, you'd be a fool to say, man, Jesus, that's really amazing, but I think I'm going to stick it out with my boat. I think I'm going to stick it out with my fish. See, the only reason we know who Peter is today is because he chose to leave the boat behind. That's the only reason you and I know who, what his name is. You, you read later on in some of the Gospels, we hear about this rich young ruler. If you grew up in church, you've heard about this young guy before. We don't even know what his name is, do we? This rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, I followed the law. I followed everything. I've done everything that God wants me to do. What else should I do? And Jesus says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what some of these other guys have done. I want you to sell everything. I want you to get rid of it. And then I want you to come and follow me. And the man goes away sad because he was incredibly wealthy and he wasn't willing to let it go. Now, I'm not saying that the the point of it is, is, oh, all of us should sell everything we have and live on the street. That's not the point. You miss the point if that's what you think Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is trying to communicate, listen, you're holding on to this and you think it's so important to you. You're clinging to it. It's soft. It gives you security and safety. And I'm telling you, I'm trying to give you something that's greater that this thing really can't provide you. But you have to be willing to let it go. Now, you might hear that story and you say, oh, man, Michael, that sounds great. That's great for the disciples. But, man, nobody does that kind of stuff today. People don't don't live that. That seems even more unattainable. But this morning in this message and throughout this entire series, we're going to be sharing some stories of people that have indeed found some of the greatest things in Jesus. 
So this morning, I'd like to share with you the story of some great friends of ours, John and Sarah Burt, this morning. Let's go ahead and take a look. Hi, we're John and Sarah Burt, and we found life in Jesus. Uh, our story started 14 years ago, uh, young, very young. Um, and right out of marriage, we, we were expecting our first child, um, both still going through school, um, just trying to find our way. And we, we had us a good settled life. Finally, we kind of found our routine of how to be a married couple, how to be parents, getting through school and finding some stability with jobs. John took a job where he was completely away all the time. We were making lots and lots of money and we lived a very indulgent lifestyle. We were living life, I guess in a worldly sense. We, we let world tell us how we need to live. We, we, got, we got a hold of the riches and let that riches take us on this fast, roller fast roller coaster ride that all it did was abuse us individually, as a married couple, as a family. Um, and it just, the faster that roller coaster went, the farther we got away from, from God. Along the way, you, you feel the conviction. You, you feel God telling you, stop, slow down, that's not what I need you to do. Um, you, you need to get, get back over here. Um, but we ignored it because that, that wasn't fun. That was, we, we're gonna go enjoy this because there were several years of our young family life where we felt like we were scraping to get by and then now we got it, let's run with it. You know, it came to a head Christmas three years ago and uh, we were sitting in our closet and uh, we said, you know, it's either we do this or we don't, talking about God and church, because what we're doing is it's killing our marriage. It's killing, it's killing anything good that could come out of it. And so after that, we both agreed that, well, that wasn't going to be acceptable. So we started to attend church regularly. We took a leap of faith and John took the job, which cut his salary at least in half. We sold our home and we started completely over. It was just a quick message I heard just saying, deny yourself. And it, that's all it was, that's all I needed to hear was, you're, you're, you're worried too much about yourself. It's not about you. It's about what I want you to do. Here's my commandment, that's the conviction, go love. You can look back and say, you know, that, that was God talking to me. Even as lost as you think you were, and how can, how can God forgive me for this? And how can I get in the good graces? Well, just that deep feeling of conviction is, is him saying, I'm still here, which way do you wanna go? We are no longer walking around trying to fill a void. We um, are thankful for what we have. We have friends, we have a community, we have like-minded people. Our kids have just grown by leaps and bounds in ways that we never could have imagined. The peace that we have and the life that we have is 100% more complete than it was with all of those things. What is it that you need to find in Jesus this morning? What is it that in your life you've been holding on to, you've been clinging to, 
that you know is merely a shadow of the real thing. You know, I don't think that at the end of their life, if you could have sat down with the apostle Peter and said, Peter, do you ever regret it? Do you ever wish that you could go back to that day? Do you ever think about that day when you left your boat and you left, you left it behind? And, oh yeah, Michael, I think, I think about it all the time. Of course I do. That was like a turning point for me. Well, do you ever regret it? No. No. Because ultimately, we find in Jesus the greatest things that we could ever possibly imagine. We never look back and say, oh man, I'm so, I'm so regretful. I wish I would have held on to this false sense of security. I wish I would have held on to this false sense of joy and this shadow of hope. I'm so glad I laid it in the hands of Jesus. I'm so glad I trusted him to hand it to him so that he could in turn place in my hand the real thing. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe in your life this morning, you need to say, God, I already feel your finger on, on this right here. I've already been, you've already been pointing it out to me throughout this entire message. Maybe even before you came in this morning, as soon as we started talking and going through this message, you already knew what it was that God has been speaking to you about to say, listen, that's just a shadow. It's not the real thing. You, you thought that this was life, but really it's leaving you wanting. Exchange it for true life. I love hearing John and Sarah's story because it reminds me that even today in the 21st century, there are still people who are willing to listen to Jesus and then based upon what they hear from Jesus and what they see in Jesus and what Jesus does, they're willing to look at everything that they thought was most important to say, you know what? That's not what life is about. True life is only found in Jesus and maybe that's the decision you need to make today so in just a moment I'm going to pray and then our worship team is going to lead us in one more song today a song that I love a song that in the end of it it says Jesus you change everything because he does doesn't he he changes your life. He changes your, your position. He changes your, your perspective on everything. He changes your perspective on your marriage. He changes your perspective on your parenting. He changes your perspective on relationships. He changes your perspective on everything in your life. And so as I pray, I'm going to invite our prayer team to come and make their way up. And they'll be standing on each side this morning. And as our worship team leads us in this last song, I want you to respond today. I want you to stand. Maybe, maybe you need to sit where you're at and just reflect upon what you've heard today and what God is speaking to you. Maybe you want to stand. Maybe you've already left everything and you've found everything in Jesus. And man, God is using you to do great things. And maybe you just want to stand and worship Him saying, yes, Jesus, you have indeed changed everything in my life. Maybe you need to respond and you need to take a step of faith, sort of like these disciples, and say, okay, uh, Jesus, I'm going to let you in the boat. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not there yet. Maybe I'm not ready to, to let everything, maybe I'm not ready to leave everything else behind. But Jesus, I'm going to let you in the boat this morning. Jesus, I, I want to take that next step. Maybe it's just listening to Jesus this morning, but respond in some way to Jesus this morning.
Maybe you need to get up and find one of these team members up here and say, I just want you to pray. You don't have to go into detail, but just having someone put a hand on your shoulder today to know that you're not alone is sometimes all that you need. But as I pray, and as our worship team begins to lead us in this last song, I want you to respond to Jesus because the greatest things are always found in Him. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You sent Your Son, Jesus, into this world to show us Your love, to show us Your grace, to show us Your mercy, to show us who You are. That there is nothing that we truly need that cannot be found in You and You alone. God, so often in our lives, You know that we struggle with this as human beings. We struggle with clinging to things that we can feel and touch and see immediately right in front of us. We, we cling to these things that we think give us security and we think give us safety and we think give us joy and happiness and hope and peace. But ultimately, Jesus, it's all always found in You. So today, God, I pray that we, as one body, we would come to you and we would be willing to lay aside all of these shadows, all of these things that we have clung to, all of the things that we thought we needed, all the things that we thought we wanted, all the things we thought could give us life but have left us wanting. I pray that we would lay it all down at your feet and that God you would indeed substitute it for the real thing. That you would give us true life. Life to the fullest. That you give us true joy that it doesn't matter what our circumstances. You still give us joy. You give us peace no matter what we face in our lives. We rest in your control and in your will knowing that our dreams come to nothing but your dreams never fail. That God we would rest in your future. That we would rest in your plans, that we would rest in your command, we would rest in your sovereignty, that we would rest in your holiness and in your goodness, and that you would take us and lead us to be the people that you want us to be, not only for our lives, but for the world around us. We commit all these things to you, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Take a moment this morning and respond to who he is today.